Well, welcome. Thank you all for joining us again this week. I'm David. Brent is joining us as well. So, man, there is a lot going on. And we've been writing a lot of content, but one of the most recent articles, I think it's really helpful to ground truth what's been going on here is a memo. What we're thinking about memos titled uh, March 2022 and chaos. And we kind of walked through several of the ideas that have been shared or circulating online and uh, how we can sort of ground truth those and think through that. So Brent, I'll let you kick that off with some of your thoughts and observations, and then we can work through some of the implications of the article towards the end. Well, I just think, you know, the way we set this up is to say there's, there's a lot happening and it is happening really fast. And as that happens, it seems to me that a lot of ideas or solutions to the immediate problem get thrown around. And a lot of times they're not really that well thought out. And uh, so the chaos tends to create its own chaos by people trying to react to it. And, um, you know, I think there are several prime examples of that in the ag space in the past few weeks. And probably the one that motivated me the most in kind of encouraging us to write this uh, article was the idea that we should open the CRP to complete cropping for a year. And I'm like, you know, I think that's a terribly bad idea and uh, really poorly thought out and not good not even worth discussing to be honest, but because it got thrown out, we have to kind of discuss it. So we talked about kind of this rally in commodity prices. And I think keep in mind two years ago, oil traded negative uh, because nobody wanted to be on the other side of these contracts when they were getting close to delivery and storage was full and the U S economy and the global economy wasn't using oil. And now we have the other scenario here where these contracts that have short time left, like the July contract for hard wheat, and there's all this uncertainty around production in Ukraine, sanctions in Russia, and nobody wants to stand in front of the upside. So think about like how much would you have to be willing to accept in an option situation to take all the upside risk between now and the close of the July wheat contracts? Nobody wants to be in those sort of situations. But puts the markets in a bit of a squeeze. Yeah, well, I think that's the most important lesson of all of it is that when you're seeing a Chicago wheat contract lock limit up for days upon days, there's really no price discovery happening in that situation. And the biggest part of the problem is elements of a squeeze. So people need out, they can't get out. So it keeps going higher and it kind of feeds back on itself. And, uh, you know, it takes some time for that to settle out. So you don't want to make policy on the base of a wheat price that is, you know, in some sense artificial. And of course that fed through into the cash markets. I mean, cash grain markets for wheat essentially quit functioning as well. And, you know, it had a lot of follow on impacts. You know, you start seeing margin calls of that nature it creates a real big problem for the people who are on the short side of the market and notably the commercial buyers of those physical commodities are short on paper and long on commodity that they bought but those margin calls can get really tough and uh, if your lender doesn't 
want to support them, it can create lots of its own problems. But the solution is not to come up with a policy fix in the midst of all that that actually makes the problem worse. And uh, there were two of them, the opening the CRP and then basically, you know, eliminating the RFS that I think would be horribly bad decisions in any kind of time frame other than the week at which all this was happening. So we outlined five questions in this article. And the point of these five questions is to highlight the key uncertainties around the conflict in Ukraine, but also the sanctions that are going on in Russia and give you a chance to think through some of the implications and how this might unfold. These are questions we don't know the answer to. And in fact, a year from now, we might be able to start to answer them, but these are the kind of the true impacts that we're trying to sort around. And the first one I'll just you know read off is what will be the effects of on Ukraine's grain production in 2022? You can imagine there's growing crops that have been damaged. There are crops that will go unplanted because there's not enough labor or there's not enough inputs. And then, you know, with respect to Russia, what effect will the sanctions have on Russia? How limited will Russia's grain exports be in 2022? And how long will Russia face sanctions? And so these are all very difficult questions. And I think one of the challenges is we don't know the answer to those. And so it's easier just to sort of come up with these kind of off the cuff ideas like, oh, we should uh, solve this with CRP or RFS and not actually sort of think about the true underlying problems. So we let the chaos multiply. Right. And uh, we don't want to multiply it chaos. So I think back to like, what are the relevant questions and uh, avoid, you know, this idea that, oh, we're, you know, the world's going to run out of food and all this kind of stuff that you see everywhere. And it's not well thought out and not, seeing the big picture in the long run. And so I think you have to somehow insulate yourself from the panic that is around you and make good decisions in this environment. So I'll leave you with one last thought on this article before we shift gears. For most of us in the last six to eight weeks, um, we probably haven't changed any estimates we've put into our crop budgets or to our expectations for 2022. So while we haven't changed the point estimates, what we know with confidence, probably the only thing we know with confidence is the range of possible outcomes is much, much wider than what they were just a few months ago. And that's equivalent to saying, you know, I'm less confident today than I was just two weeks ago. And that's a very uncomfortable position to be in. It's a very uncomfortable position to admit that you're in, but I think that's where most of us are heading into middle of the March here in 2022 is we just frankly know less about where energy prices, the financial markets, where commodity prices, where the fertilizer markets, where all of this is going. And I think we just have to kind of accept that. And then we can start to focus on making good decisions for our organizations. And again, insulating ourselves from just the never ending stream of uncertainty and bad ideas and half-baked ideas and rumors and rumors of rumors. And it's just get back to the basics and focus on making good decisions for your operation one day at a time. Yes. So Brent, in light of trying to help people think about uncertainty and moving prices, energy has been on our minds. We wrote an article about trends in U.S. gasoline prices, opened a new forecast network question. The question is, what's the probability of U.S. gasoline prices or the average price exceeding $5.25 per gallon between now and the first week of <laughs> September? 
I, I'll just say in this article, I was a bit shocked. Gasoline prices between the end of February and the second week of March for those two weeks increased 71 cents per gallon. That's the largest per gallon increase that the data has going back to the 1990s. Also, gasoline prices are up 32% or about a dollar a gallon just since the beginning of the year. So sticker shock is a bit of an understatement, but read the article, submit your forecast. You know, 525 is about a dollar above where we are right now. And so, you know, will we see uh, these high prices continue? And, you know, share your forecast and stay connected. Yeah, I think that's the best way to think about it is to start forecasting it and get your, you know, do some thinking about what those numbers would mean because, you know, energy prices are important in agriculture as well. And so let's keep track of it. All right, let's wrap this up by talking about questions that we've got closed. Brent, the Fed raised interest rates this week or signaled they're going to, you know, shift the, uh, they said they are raising the target range for the Fed funds. And so the upper limit was at 0.25%. Now it's at 0.5%, resolving this question that we had open. Uh, We've had three interest rate related questions. So the first one was, will they raise rates? That's been answered yes. The second two are about the magnitude of increases for short-term rates, but also what happens with the longer-term rate markets. My forecast here was pretty poor. I got a 22nd percentile. As you can see, I had a pretty strong forecast. I started above 60%. I got it all the way up to a 90 plus percent in the last few days. One of the things we're going to show in the always learning article next week is everybody had a strong forecast for this, or everybody had a high probability of this outcome happening. Yeah. And that's a case, David, where, you know, not beating, you know, the consensus, the implications that are not much, you know, you had that forecast really well, just that, uh, so, so did everybody else. This is a pretty well telegraphed move. You know, on my forecast, I did really well, but didn't actually win the contest because I dropped it a little bit when the invasion started because I thought maybe it might reduce the chances of a hike. Didn't get it, kept it too low for too, a little too long, but uh, still was generally right so you know don't beat yourself up on these because directionally you had a really good forecast and it's a really great point sometimes you win some you lose some but you're always learning and i think that's a key mantra is i had a good forecast but uh wasn't the best forecast in the platform i think that's important to to take away and think about brent the next question here i did really well on we won't share your score but you know somebody's got to be at the bottom of the list and so uh (laughs) sometimes that person is part of the team so um december corn last week on march the 8th got above 650 per bushel for the first time i actually a couple days earlier it hit 650 on the nose and so the question was a probability of exceeding. So we had to do some careful rule reading to make sure we understood that. But a day or two later, it broke 650. I got the 75th percentile. This is an interesting question where the consensus didn't adjust up as fast as what we might have expected, but it was a very rapidly changing price environment. And I think I did a good job. One of the reasons why I think I did so well in this is I started below the consensus, but I managed to like stair step my forecast. I made a lot of small adjustments as we were seeing, as you can see, if you're watching this video, I think I don't always do this. Sometimes I put a low forecast in, I make, try to make big adjustments at, towards the end that doesn't work out in the scoring sense. 
but Brent, let's talk a little bit about where we go from here. So corn and soybeans have both hit the upper limits. So in January, we said corn's about 550 a bushel. What's the probability of going below 450 and the probability of going above 650? Now we've hit 650. We got to reset the chains here for the upper and lower bounds. That's a hard conversation. And we've been trying to rack our brains about that the last few days. So share a little bit about that. Yeah. So I just think setting the bounds on these things are tough. So we debated, you know, is it 750? That seems like a really high price. But if you look at kind of futures markets, what they're implying, you know, they're saying almost a one in three chance or one in four chance of seeing something like that. So this is 750 and 550, a dollar higher and lower either way. It's hard to come up with a number that doesn't, you know, you look at $7 and go, well, that seems too low given that we're at 650 right now. So it's hard to come up with these endpoints right now. And, you know, we were talking a bit, you know, what's the downside risks here and looking at the, what the market was telling us, and this is specifically about where the contract closes in December for corn. Uh, it was saying something like a 35% chance of the price being below 550 per bushel, which is a big, a big number. I think a lot of people would think that that probability was high. They would come in under that probability, but this is part of the purpose of why we put this platform together and do our content in this video is to help people think about those extreme uh, outcomes and what are the risks and what do those risks look like? Yeah. And it just gives further credence to the point we've been trying to make that the range of possible outcomes for agriculture, for almost any kind of economic variable is very wide right now. Very, very wide. It just seems like there are lots of ways this thing could go and there's a lot of risk. And keep in mind the cost of production are really high this year. And so the risks, you know, the economic risk is big. So in the newsletter this week, we were drafting that earlier to give you a little sneak peek. Brent, you and I talked about this yesterday. The Senate this week passed a bill, sent it over to the House. So it's a long ways from the president's desk, but to make daylight savings time permanent year round. And the fans of Escaping 1980 won't be too surprised. They'll find it a little uh, fun to know that we've done this in the past. This is not a new idea. In fact, in 1974, on the backside of the OPEC oil embargo to the US, another supply shock. In the energy sense, uh, Congress wheeled this idea out and it stuck around for about 16 months until everybody got tired of their kids going to school in the dark on the winter morning. So we'll see if Congress moves forward with this. We'll see if the, I don't know, societal appetite for this is a little bit different here in 2021. You know, they didn't have cell phone lights back then. So maybe the cell phones with lights on the back for the flashlights, maybe that will make this a little more bearable here in, in 2022. But history has a funny way of rhyming. It is crazy how all these things are kind of coming back. I was just looking at a macroeconomic textbook and to find talk of stagflation. And it has a whole section on about a supply shock and how to um, handle supply shock. And it's really interesting that we're right back in it and little things like daylight savings time have come full circle at this point. You know, the Russian invasion of Afghanistan, Russian invasion of Ukraine. I mean, it's so, it's kind of eerie. Yeah, it's just 
always good to be a student of history, understanding what the lessons that are applicable are and what the lessons that aren't applicable are, but always to be thinking about uncertainty and how you're going to navigate all of that as we move forward. So thanks to all, you all for listening. Check out the latest articles on the site, aei.ag for our free site, and then forecastnetwork.com for the premium content. And uh, in the meantime, stay curious. Thanks.